Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. We are continuing our our series, our trek through uh, the letter, the book in the New Testament that is titled Hebrews. And and so if if you weren't with us last week, um, let me briefly recap that this sermon title is The Order of Melchizedek, part two. Uh, and so we, we're continuing to look at, in this section of Hebrews, that the author is, is laying out the, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And so we, we are focused here in this section, it's going to run chapter 7 all the way through chapter 10, on the superiority of this order, of this priest, Melchizedek. And specifically, the focus is his superiority over uh, Levi over, over the Levitical priesthood, which if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Aaron was of the tribe of Levi and Aaron and his sons were ordained as the priest. And that was the old order of things under the old covenant. And so the argument in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews is that that old order of things has been surpassed by a new order, a different order. And so last week in verses one through 10 of chapter seven, the author turned to this interaction all the way back in Genesis chapter 14 between Abraham, who's a, a pretty significant Old Testament figure, and his interactions between him and a man named Melchizedek, who just appears out of the blue as a high priest or a priest of the most high God. And so verses 1 through 10, he showed that, that Melchizedek was superior to Abraham, which by implication meant that Abraham's sons or Abraham's brother and his sons, the priests, were inferior to Melchizedek. That was the main point. Last week in verses 1 through 10, and he set the foundation there in verses 1 through 10, that he's going to continue this week, and he moves from Melchizedek to Jesus himself in order to show not only the superior, superiority of the, the order of Melchizedek, but specifically the superiority of Jesus, who is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, who is vastly superior to any priest that came after Aaron under the old covenant under the Levites. And so, so his point, as the author of Hebrews continues laying this foundation, he wants the audience to clearly see that the priesthood, the high priesthood, which came into being under the law, that is under Moses, by Aaron, the Levites, this old covenant priesthood has been replaced by a new priesthood, a new, a better, a superior priesthood, and a better superior priest. And so that's his, that's his main point. Jesus is the great high priest who is of a totally different order, who's replaced, supplanted, if you will, the Levites. And as we'll see in today's passage, this fact shouldn't really surprise the, the, the readers of the, the book of Hebrews. Because as we'll see, it was promised and planned from before the Levites even came into existence. In fact, it was later affirmed, this, this new priesthood, while the Levites were still functioning alive and well. And so again, this week we're going to see the supremacy of Jesus as the great high priest and the subsequent necessity of holding fast to him. He is the great high priest that we must hold fast to. And so before we read the passage, we're going to read verses 11 through 28 in just, just a minute. But I was thinking, as we're kind of getting into the weeds, maybe you're tired of hearing the name Melchizedek. I certainly am getting tired of saying it. But I wanted to think of a way to highlight the significance of these truths because, let's be honest, you and I aren't tempted to to forsake Christ and go back to the Mosaic law. That's not really something that we're pressured with or tempted to do every day. 
And, and, and so maybe we're not tempted to go back to Mosaic law. We're, we're, not, we're not tempted to forsake Christ for the, the, the sake of the high priest serving in the temple in Jerusalem. That's not our temptation. So, so if, if, if we're not careful, there could be a, a disconnect between what's being taught in Hebrews and, and us here and now. And so here's the point. Here's why this matters. Here's why you ought to heed these messages. The issue isn't primarily old versus new. That's a big part of it. That isn't the primary issue. The issue, the primary issue is fellowship with God. The, the, the issue is approach to God. How does one draw near to God? How does one have a right relationship with God? How does one maintain, how does one even attain at the beginning, but then maintain a right relationship with the one true and living God, with the, with the creator, the maker of heaven and earth? That is the issue. And the solution to the issue is the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. And that solution is as relevant today, as necessary today, as it was when this message was first delivered. And so we, we must have Jesus as our high priest if we want a relationship with God, if we want access to God. And so, and so in Jesus Christ, by way of his high priestly ministry, we have access, we, we have a welcome, we have fellowship, we have peace with God. And that access, that welcome, that fellowship, that peace cannot come from anywhere else or by any other means than Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And his position of that office, his function of high priest, his function as high priest will never, ever, ever, ever end. And, and that's gonna be the, the point of the passage today. It's an eternal priesthood. And so I thought about an illustration. <clears throat> so I, th I thought about my dad. So I love my dad. If you've seen him, I, I look like my father quite a bit. And I'm thankful to have a, a godly dad who's been a part of my life, who I know loves me. And there are many benefits that, that being my father's son provides me. Lots of, of not too old tools. When, when he upgrades, I get them. Um, lots, lots of advice if, if there's ever an issue. I, I, he's a phone call away. And so there are many benefits, but one of the benefits, I, I'm tempted to say one of the greatest benefits of having my dad as my dad was access to Washington Redskins season tickets. So, so for about a span of 15 years, my dad was part of a group of, of buyers who had season tickets every year. And so my dad, because of, of his partnership in this group, because he had access, I have, have over a decade of memories of Redskins football games. And so my dad and I, I he, he would, so when, when my brother was in California, I would get two season, two games a year. So my brother moved back to Northern Virginia, I had to split, so I only got one game a year. But, but again, that's still better than none. And so my dad and I have great memories and so my access to that great benefit, to that blessing, I think I can say, was dependent upon my dad. And the day eventually came, and who can blame him losing season after losing season, but the day eventually came where my dad cut ties with the season tickets of the Washington football team. So, so I no longer have access to that. Now's the time I wish I had it because they're on the way up. But my point is the access is gone and I will probably never have that again which I'm okay, I'm okay with that. If you, if you want to give any away, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to receive them, but I'm probably never going to have that again. And, and your, your illustration may not be uh, season football tickets. It may be a, a friends and family discount at your favorite grocery store or, or a clothing store. Maybe it's a beach house that, that you have access to, or, or maybe it's that Amazon Prime account that you use. Whatever the case may be, you have access to a benefit that's contingent on someone else. 
And the point of the author of Hebrews, the point he's making is that our access to God, which is far greater than any other benefit that we could ever have, our access to God is dependent upon someone else, namely Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And the point that we're going to see this morning is that our access will never be denied. That, that expiration date is never going to come. So, so season tickets come and go, right? Prime membership will continue to rise. And, and one day people are going to stop buying it. But the intercessory minute, the intercession ministry, the, the high priestly ministry of Jesus will never expire. Jesus will never not be our great high priest. The Lord has sworn he is high priest forever. As we come to that reality, that, that is good news, or at least it ought to be good news for sinners like me. And like you, it ought to be good news that, that your standing with God, your fellowship with him, it's not dependent upon you keeping it all together. It's not dependent upon you continually checking all the right boxes and not dependent upon what, what someone else thinks of you. It's not dependent on any of these things. Your fellowship with God, your standing with him is dependent upon Christ alone who is and will ever be your and my great high priest. And that, that's the point of the sermon today. And so there's great reason for hope in this passage. So, so let me read verses 11 through 28. So, so Hebrews 7, I'm going to begin in verse 11 and read through the end of chapter 7. So the, the author writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for, the, for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. 
Well, let, let me pray for us before we look at this, this passage. Father, this is your word to us, and we confess that your word is true and righteous altogether. And it, if we were to, to know and understand and think rightly about your word, we would confess that it is to be desired more than gold, more than much gold, and that it would be sweeter than, than the finest honey, the, the best candy that we could ever taste. And so, so we, want, we want to receive the benefit of your word. And so we pray that you would open our eyes today to behold the wondrous things written in your word. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, so, so our outline there, there's two points. The, the, this, this passage breaks down very simply, I think, into two parts. And so the first section is gonna establish the imperfection or the insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood. And then the second section is gonna establish the, the perfection of the great high priest. And so, so first point, verses 11 through 17, we're gonna see an insufficient priesthood. That's Levitical priesthood. It's insufficient, it's lacking, doesn't reach its goal. And then second, we're gonna see the perfect high priest, which is verses 20 through 28. So let's start there, an insufficient priesthood, verses 11 through 19. Now, as we turn to this first point into the insufficiency of this Levitical priesthood, one thing that's fundamental to his argument is Psalm 110, verse four. Now I'm gonna read it for you, but this quote has, been, has occurred several times in Hebrews thus far in chapter five, verse six, and in chapter six, verse 17. He's, he's talked about this, this passage from Psalm 110, verse four, and, and, and actually this psalm play, plays a, a large part in the, in the broader New Testament, but, but specifically in Hebrews and specifically in verses 11 through 28. And the focus here is on verse four of Psalm 110, which says, so this is Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so in, in Psalm 110, remember, chronologically speaking, Psalm 110 occurs after the giving of the law, after the ordination of Levitical priesthood. So you have Abraham, then you have Moses in the law, and then you have Psalm 110. Then you have Jesus over here. That's our timeline. But Psalm 110 comes from King David, and as King David is king and ruler of Israel, it is the pinnacle of the, the, the nation of Israel. It is the height. There's no higher pitch that Israel is going to go to than David and his son Solomon. And so as David is king, and he's, he's, he's writing Psalm 110 verse 4, he is saying there is another priesthood, not the one that's functioning right now in the, the height of my kingdom. It's a promise. Psalm 110 verse 4 is a promise of another priesthood. That's why he said you're a priest forever, not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. It's a forward-looking promise to a different order altogether, not the Levitical order. It was an order that was yet to come. And so when David says, prophesies about this coming priest, he says that there's going to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And when, when he says that in Psalm 110, he says both something about the Levitical priesthood that it's, it's not going to last, it has a limited span, but he's also saying something about the coming of a, another priesthood, another order, which we know in light of the, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, along with the, 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 the clear teaching of the New Testament, this new priest, this other order was fulfilled in the coming of Christ. He is the great high priest, the one who is after the order of Melchizedek, which means that, that ever since the coming of Christ, the incarnation, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the, the Lord, 
the different order was no longer forward coming. It had come. It had been established. The old had gone because the new had come. And it's the use of Psalm 110 verse 4 that makes this case. The transition was not without warning or planning or promise. Now that's his point in the first section. The fact that there was another priesthood mentioned said that there was something wrong with the first one. The Levitical priesthood was limited, insufficient, weak, and useless in terms of accomplishing God's ultimate plan. So look there at verse 11. He asks a question there, Hebrews 7, verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? The question, the, the way that it's asked, it's making a statement. There's an implied answer to the question. If perfection had been attainable through this Levitical priesthood, why would another priest be mentioned? The, 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 the answer is a priest wouldn't be mentioned. If perfection was attainable, there would be no need for another order. If Levitical priesthood was sufficient for God's desired end, there would be no need for another type. But Psalm 110 confirms the inadequacy of the Levitical priesthood. The mention of another priest after the order of Melchizedek declares that the Levitical priesthood is insufficient, which is the point of verse 11. And if you notice, the, the parenthetical statement in verse 11 is simply to draw, draw this, this connection, this unbreakable connection between the giving of the law and the priesthood. It was under the Levitical priesthood that people received the law. Now, that doesn't mean that the, the priesthood came before the law, because if you know the history, that's not how it happened. The, the, the law was given first, and then the priesthood was ordained. But his point is that the priesthood was the means of communicating and, and ensuring adherence to the law. It's, it's through the priesthood that the people received the law and, and were, were made sure to keep the law. And so there's this inextricable connection between the priesthood and the covenant. And so that's why in verse 12, when there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. They're, they're one and the same. They go together. And the point is that the mention of another priesthood necessarily brings with it another law. More specifically, another way of determining who's qualified to be a priest. Just because lineage was, was non-negotiable when it came to who served as a priest in the Levitical system, that doesn't mean that those requirements were, were set in stone indefinitely. There's a new law in the coming of a new priesthood. And so the mention of Melchizedek assumes that there's going to be a different order at some point. There's going to be another priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron or Levi. And this ought to be a given. Since the one spoken of, notice verse 13, the one spoken of belonged to another tribe. The one that has been made priest forever wasn't from the tribe of Aaron. He was from Judah. He was the son of David. He was born of, in Bethlehem. And there's nothing regarding that lineage, that, that stock had no hold in the priesthood of Levi. So he's saying, it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And here's the point. Instead of saying, well, well, he wasn't from Levi, he has nothing to do with priesthood. The author wants us to say, the conclusion is not he has nothing to do, but, but instead he has something to do with the priesthood that is nothing like Levi. It's a different priesthood. It's one that surpassed the old order of things. Instead of assuming that the Levitical priesthood is all that there was and ever could be, the coming of Jesus, his death, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father leads us to assume that there's a priesthood that Aaron and Levi could have never imagined. A priesthood of a totally different order. And Jesus, the fact that he wasn't descended from Levi, had nothing to do with his qualifications to serve as this high priest because it was a totally different order. There are different rules at play here. The Levitical priesthood was insufficient. 
And it's seen in the change of priesthood, but it's also seen in the appearing of Christ, the, the coming of Christ. Look at verse 15. This becomes even more evident, and, and this here being the, the change in priesthood, this change in priesthood becomes even more evident when another priest arises after the likeness of Melchizedek, who's become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For his witness of him, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The fact that Jesus, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, was not only promised, but the fact that Jesus actually appeared and died and was raised and ascended into heaven makes even more evident that a change in priesthood not only was necessary, but has actually come. It wasn't promised anymore. It was established, accomplished. And leaning heavily there on Psalm 110.4, the author confidently concludes that Jesus had become high priest based not on a legal requirement, not based on Levitical qualifications, not his lineage, but he had become a high priest based on the power of his indestructible life or his, his endless life, his eternal life. And so the high priesthood of Melchizedek, a point that was made in verses one through 10, is that a priesthood, Melchizedek is a priesthood that success in plan isn't necessitated by death. It's a priesthood that continues. And so Jesus as the high priest, the great and superior high priest is qualified to serve in that office because he will never die. His life is indestructible, endless, eternal. He was raised to life everlasting. And upon his ascension into heaven, he occupies the office of high priest and will serve in that capacity forever. That's what qualifies him. And his service in the new order that has been established ensures that there's no longer any legitimacy of the old order. A new order has come which means there's no reason for anyone who's turned to Christ to then abandon him for another way. There's no reason to do that because there's no other way. That's the point he's making. I mean, look there at verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, notice this comparison continues. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside. He's talking about the old way of doing things, the old covenant. It's set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, a better hope through which we draw near to God. So on one hand, the old way has been set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. Perfection was not attainable through the Levitical priesthood. This is why turning back to that way makes no sense and only leads to judgment. But on the other hand, a better hope has been introduced, a, a new way, a better way, a different way, yes, but a superior way, a better hope has been introduced in the priestly ministry of Jesus. And it is this hope through this better way that we draw near to God, which is the goal, the end, the, the purpose of the priesthood. And that's what the Levitical priesthood could never accomplish. The better hope that has come through the priesthood of Jesus Christ is the way for fellowship with God. It, it's the fellowship that we talked about at the beginning. And that was the whole purpose. That was the goal. And that was, as I said, what the Levitical priesthood could never accomplish. The former way through Levi has been set aside and the new way through Jesus has introduced a better hope and made fellowship with God possible. Which leads just to, to an immediate point of application, which is simply the, the reality of a better hope. That in the, the coming of Jesus, in the high priestly ministry of Jesus, perfection has been attained. The, the goal has been reached. The purpose has been accomplished. Jesus has accomplished what no son of Aaron ever could. And he's introduced a better hope. And it is through him and him alone that we draw near to God. 
One commentator notes, since God's ultimate goal of establishing an eternal relationship between himself and people could not be attained through Levitical priesthood, there was still a need for a priesthood to arrive that could bring that perfection. The goal was always fellowship with God. That was always the goal. And it's Christ only by way of his high priestly ministry that that goal is attained. Jesus has accomplished reconciliation between God and man. He is the one mediator. He is the one eternal high priest. He is the one who's able to sympathize and do something about our weakness. He is the one who is the priest and king, the lamb and Lord. He's the one. Therefore, an exhortation to hold fast to him is a matter of utmost importance. It has to do with whether you have a relationship with God or you don't. That's what's at stake here. And so as you consider that, this ought to make the decision of the original audience pretty simple. I mean, who would really want to go back to the Levitical system? Who would want to leave fellowship with God? Who would want to leave Jesus for that? That's what he wants them to, to recognize, how foolish that is. And like I mentioned at the beginning, we're, we're not tempted in the same way to go back to the old covenant. We're still faced with pressure. We, as believers, as those who have come to Christ, who have come to God through him, we still are faced with temptation to, to turn from Christ, to forsake him or, or to take him for granted, to, to take this access for granted. I mean, we may not leave him and go to the temple to offer sacrifice to the high priest, but we may be tempted to leave him and find our peace and comfort or assurance in other places. We may be tempted to take for granted the access to God that we have been given through Jesus alone. And so, and so for the Christian here listening, let us not forget that a better hope has been introduced. The, a better hope has come. I, I'm so thankful that I live now and not in the time of Moses in the tabernacle or, or King David in the temple. We are alive in the time when the better hope has come. It's been introduced. We're not dealing in types and shadows. We are dealing with Christ who has come, has died, has been raised and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is our high priest now. And so believer, let us hold fast to him because apart from him, we have no fellowship with God. We have no relationship with him. And so let us, let us not take for granted the access that we've been granted through Jesus. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, you must recognize that apart from Jesus, apart from coming to God through him, you have no hope. None, zero, zip. Your hope is, is non-existent. You're lost you're separated, you're, you're alienated from God without hope in this world. You need to know that the ministry of Jesus is sufficient to save, but it will not save those who don't come to God through him. You don't go to God any other way. You need Jesus. And there's hope for you. In Christ, a better hope has come for you. And so if you're not a Christian, your only hope has come and his name is Jesus and, and the call for you is to turn to him, to, to approach him, cast your cares on him, to, to put all of your stock in that one high priest who has introduced a better hope, who has, who has made possible your reconciliation to your creator. And so for us to think rightly about this text, we must recognize that we're all created to draw near to God. We're all created to be in a right, right relationship with him. And that desire to know and be known by God can only be realized through faith in Christ, through Christ alone, no other way. Well, having established that the Levitical priesthood has been set aside because of its inferiority, because of its lack of ability to, to bring people into God's presence, 
its inability to cleanse people from their sins, the author now shifts to the new priesthood that's been inaugurated, the Melchizedekian priesthood. So so look there at our second section, verses 20 through 28, the the perfect high priest. And so again, he's continuing to emphasize the the superiority of Jesus and and his high priesthood over that of the Levites. And so in verse 20, he he introduces or he re-emphasizes this idea of the oath. Okay, so look there at verse 20. The the fact that that this change in priesthood was established by an oath, verse 20, and it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one, Jesus, this new high priest, has been made priest with an oath by the one who said to him, you're a priest forever. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. And so the the argument is pretty straightforward. The role of an oath was already discussed earlier in chapter 6. And here he reiterates that God made an oath regarding the high priesthood of the Son. He swore forever you are going to be high priest, which was not the case with any other priest after Levi. The Levites, that wasn't true of them. They relied only on their lineage, on their family tree. But Jesus, his priesthood was based and relied on God's oath, God's promise, God's sure word. And that's the point of the Psalm 110 quote, forever you are priest. Which means not only that Jesus is a more sure high priest, but also the covenant that he represents is better. The longevity, the permanence of the high priest guarantees the longevity and permanence of the covenant that the priesthood establishes. And so because he's a high priest that will live forever, the covenant that has now been inaugurated will will last forever. It's a superior covenant. And Jesus is the guarantor of that better covenant. The better hope that has been introduced has to do with the better high priest and the better covenant. And so the idea that, that anyone who's been introduced to Christ and the, the better hope that he gives would consider going back, leaving him and returning to an old way is almost unbelievable. And the author is going to great lengths to show the folly of that consideration. Why would anyone abandon Christ? He is the high priest after the oath. But he continues, look at verses 23 and 24. The former priests were many in number. Why? Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And so the Levitical priesthood, they were always coming and going. Ordained, serving, dead. Ordained, serving, dead. Ordained, ser- uh, and the rotation continued under the Levites. One priest couldn't remain. His term was limited. No matter how long he lived, his function as high priest eventually ran out. It expired with him. But Jesus, verse 24, holds his priesthood permanently, never to expire, never to be removed from his office, never to be limited by death. Why? Because he continues forever. Or to put it another way, he holds his priesthood permanently. He was raised. He's been resurrected. He is never going to die again. As as the eternal son, he he would exist forever. But as the God-man who who became flesh, who now intercedes on our behalf, he will never die. He is raised. He has a resurrection body. And death has no hold on him. Death cannot and will never conquer him. As the risen one, he is the ascended one at the Father's right hand, and he will never, ever not be there. He lives forever as high priest, as your high priest, as my high priest, as a high priest of all who hold fast to him, who approach God through him. And because of that, because of his everlasting life and intercession and function as high priest, look at verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. If you have a different translation, another translation translates verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. I mean, I mean this is a remarkable verse. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, completely, for all time. Who? Those who come to God through him. He's the mediator, and anyone who comes to God through him is able to be saved completely, utterly, for all times. What this means, on the other hand, those who do not come to God through Christ are not saved. You can't come to God any other way. No, no general idea of faith, generic faith, just, just believing in, in this, this general creator, no faith in, in another God of, a, of another religion, no Levitical priest, no other way is open by which anyone can approach the one true God. Jesus saves only those who come to God through him. I mean, this is a fundamental truth of the gospel. This is a, a fundamental foundational tenet of Christianity. Jesus saves only those who come to God through him. And it's, it's not wrong to say that Jesus is the only way. He is. That is a truth of the gospel. You come through Christ or you don't come at all. That is true, and we must never, ever falter from holding that line. But there's another aspect of the gospel that we also cannot miss here. And the other aspect of the gospel is this. Anyone who comes to God through Christ is saved. Anyone. Don't miss that. Are you included? Do you know God? Do you want the fellowship with, with the creator, with your creator? Do you want the fellowship that you were made for, your purpose? Do you want joy? Do you want, to, do you, do you want the promise of eternal life, of, of joy everlasting? No matter who you are, if, if you're listening to these words, you can have it because Jesus can give it. This verse promises that Jesus is able to save those who draw near to God through him. He is able to completely save. He's able to save to the uttermost. Are you here? Have you ever put your faith in Christ? Have you drawn near to God through Christ? If not, why are you waiting? I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. If you haven't drawn near to God through Jesus, you have no hope. You can't check a list of Sunday attendance to get you to, to, to fellowship with God. You must come through Jesus and Jesus alone. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to get better. You're not too far gone. You haven't screwed up too bad or, or too many times. I can promise you, you've never gone past uttermost on your journey away from God. You haven't gone there and you can't. Jesus can save to the uttermost. And so why wait? The way is open through Jesus. Draw near to God through him. Put your faith in Jesus. Are you here? Have you drawn near to God through Christ? As we're sitting here? Well, well you ought to hear the promise of God's word. Your high priest is a savior who loses none. Jesus saves completely. Jesus saves to the uttermost. Christian, you are spoken for. You are safe. You are secure. Jesus ever lives to intercede for you. Do you need to hear that today? Every day, same refrain. Father, forgive him. His debt is paid. The sacrifice has been made. Every day, same refrain. Father, forgive her. Her debt is paid. The sacrifice has been made. Christian, Jesus ever lives to intercede for you. You are secure because of his high priestly ministry. 
I mean, I think about this is the Apostle Paul, Romans 8. Listen to the Apostle Paul. In, in, the, in the flow of his argument, listen to, the, to what, he, what he says about Jesus. This is Romans 8, Romans 8, verse 33. He says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither the angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The intercession of our great high priest never ends, which means that our security in drawing near through him will never falter. Nothing shall separate us. Christ died. Christ was raised and Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us now who have drawn near to God through him. Indeed, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the sola, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. And so believer, when, when Jesus dies again, then and only then will our assurance be in question. Then and only then will our salvation be unstable or unsteady. And the good news is that day will never come. It came once and it's never coming again. He died and rose never to die again. And so as we turn just, just very quickly, the, the last few verses of our section, the author comes to, it, to his conclusion and really verses 26 through 28 sum up his argument. And, and it's really a sum, sum, summary of the argument that started all the way back in chapter five, verse one. And to close this section, he focuses on the status and the character of Christ as our high priest. So verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. All right, that's his ascension. He has no need like those high priests, like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law points men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, points a son who has been made perfect forever. This, this high priest is separate, holy, innocent, exalted above the heavens. Though he was like us in every way, his sinlessness was still intact and was until the end. He was spotless. And he, although he wasn't offered or required to offer sacrifices for his own sins, why? Because there were none. He did offer a sacrifice, singular for sins, plural. And that sacrifice we see at the end of verse 27, the first time this is explicitly mentioned in Hebrews was, was the sacrifice of himself. He gave himself up. And so not only is he the great high priest, but he's the sacrifice that's sacrificed, that's offered by the great high priest. He is the spotless lamb. Jesus, our great high priest, offered himself. He was the offering. He was the spotless lamb. He was the atonement securing sacrifice. And he offered himself once for all. Not day after day, not year after year, not generation after generation, but once and for all. And now he serves as our great high priest. And in response, we believers say, thanks be to God for our great high priest who intercedes for us even now. Well, Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll pick up uh, in chapter eight, but let me close us, uh, let me pray for us uh, as, as we close.